All right, you guys ready for some celebration this morning? My wife, I told you uh, that we're really been cheerleaders for Jesus. Any cheerleaders for Jesus out there? I mean, that's what we do. Come on, that's what I'm talking about. Come on, that's what I'm talking about. My wife, hearing my need, sharing my vision, got online and ordered pom-poms for people this service. So if you see, hey, Jason, they're at your feet. Come on, get them. Your, your lovely broad Brit's got it going. Hey, give me, get, I, need, I need two, you're not going to be, a, I know you're not going to be a good cheerleader because <laughs> give me two of those. All right, I got, I got this crew over here in the front row. They are awesome. All right, you ladies, you ladies stand up. All you ladies, let's go. You're going to have to share these two pom-poms, all right? So, all right. Some of you are maybe better, better cheer. And you know, when we say something awesome about Jesus, that's when it's appropriate, all right? Now, for those of you visiting, we do not do this every Sunday. We are not the pom-pom cult. Light, lighten up. But we, we do like to have fun, all right? Just turn to your neighbor and say the word fun and try not to smile when you say it, all right? Just turn, just say fun, all right? For some of you, fun and church do not usually go together, but we're going to break that mold, all right? Fun and Jesus should always go together. How many of you know who is the happiest human being who ever lived? His name's Jesus. The Bible says he was anointed with the oil of gladness more than any of his brethren. That means Jesus had more joy than any human being who ever lived. So how many of you know when you say the word Jesus and you smile, that's appropriate? When you, say Je- when you say Jesus and you frown, that's not what he looks like, all right? So uh, everybody ready to be a cheerleader for Jesus today? I have been, I, yeah, there we go, there we go. I, now I can just picture the Lord in heaven right now, and this is what some of you are like, that church is being so irreverent. Are you kidding me? Do you know what he's going? Those folks are getting it, all right? Those folks are getting it. When we release praise to him, when we release thanksgiving to him, when we enjoy him, I'm telling you, that's what worship really is. That's worship. So we're going to worship today. I've been laying the foundations in this series called Undefeated. I'm trying to instill a theology of hope because if the church ain't got hope, we ain't got nothing. If we are depressed, downtrodden, beaten up, joyless, and we're in the ditch with the rest of the culture, how are we going to help people? Now, let me just say this. There might be some of you that have had a rough week or you're going through a rough time and you're here today and you're like, you know what? I'm really struggling. Hey, hang on. We're not making light of your struggles. I'm just telling you, here's the vision. We serve an undefeated God. He's not a loser. He's a winner, all right? We serve a winning God. We serve a winning Savior. Jesus killed the devil. He defeated his kingdom. Uh, he destroyed him. He, we're going to see today, he, he mocked him. He shamed him publicly. We have a mighty Savior. Can anybody say amen? So I'm telling you that when you get up in the morning and you're operating from this identity, it changes the way you live. Now, what we're going to talk about today is the mission of the church. Now, this is really important, folks. There are many people today who they think the mission of the church is just to hold on, like we're hanging by the last little knot in the rope, like in gym class. Remember that when you're supposed to climb the rope, but you didn't do so well? Anybody remember those days? You're, you're hanging by the last rope, and we're going to hold the fort till Jesus comes. How many of you know that is a loser vision? 
We're not trying to hold nothing. We are kicking down the gates of hell. I mean, you know, there's a big difference in how, how you see this. We're not just holding on, trying to withstand the onslaught of the devil and hope maybe just a couple of us make it without losing our faith. That's not the vision for an end-time victorious church. I mean, you know, I don't want to be a part of that church. There's lots of churches you can sign up with that vision. I don't want to go to any of them, all right? I want to be a part of walking in the, the authority and the inheritance and the promise and the prize of what Jesus Christ died for. And so let's take a look at our mission because here's the deal. If you have the wrong understanding of your mission, you will miss out on your purpose. How many of you don't want to waste your life? Like, your life is like a vapor. It's passing by every day. The older I get, the more I realize, wow, I want to seize the moment. Amen. Anybody with me? I, I want to make my life matter. I want to make sure if God is moving history in a certain direction, how many of you know he is? A great way to understand history is his, H-I-S, story. History is his story. We're not evolving. We're not accidents. We're not random. We're moving somewhere intentionally. And how many of you know you have to figure out where are we now in his story so that we can live accordingly because we don't want to waste our lives? Am I speaking to the right? Some of you getting it? Like this is this message to me. I'm like, wow, this is an important message. I need to listen to this message because a lot is at stake if we don't get what I'm about to teach you right now. So listen up; it's very important. When you go all the way back to Genesis chapter one, remember I shared last week the argument or the debate in all of human history is who has the authority to narrate the story. In other words, who's telling the story or is there even a story? We live in a postmodern world. Many people don't even believe there is a story. But I'm telling you, if since God's the creator, he's also the one who has the authority to tell you the truth about where history is moving. Does that make sense? So we're going to look at Genesis chapter 1 because here God begins to speak to his creation. And there's a lot in here. I'm going to try to stay on point because we have some ground to cover this morning. But take a look, Genesis 1.26. This is what's called the Cultural Commission or the Dominion mandate. This is the original purpose, the original mission God gave to Adam and Eve. Verse 26, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Notice God says he's making human beings differently. He's making us in the image of God. Now, there was a, an exhibit at one of the European um, zoos that went over like a lead balloon. They were trying to establish the fact that since evolution is reality, in their minds anyway, that humans are really just along the, the, the span of, of evolutionary development. We happen to be the highest developed animals on the planet. And so they had the amphibian cages, you know, the exhibits. We had the birds. We got the snakes. We got the toads and the frogs. And we got the zebras. And we got the, and we got the wildebeest. You guys getting the point here? And we got the monkeys, and then they actually had an exhibit where people were in that exhibit, just walking around, you know, doing what the monkeys do. You ever see the monkeys pick their nose and stuff like that in the exhibits? It's always great when you got little kids there and they do stuff like that. Anyway, they're doing all this stuff that the, the animals are doing, just kind of hanging out, and the point was human beings are no different than the animals. Well, how many of you know that didn't last very long? First of all, they had a contract dispute. You know, the monkeys didn't have a contract dispute, but... <laughs> 
the humans had a contract dispute over how much they were paying. And then after a while, they started going, you know, this is really a boring life standing here trying to be an animal. Because guess what? You're not an animal. You're created in the image of God. And uh, when you try to be an animal, it doesn't work very well. So God created, verse 27, human beings in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Here's some more help for us because we're pretty confused today. Male and female, he created them. Two pronouns, male and female. And then it says, then God blessed them. First of all, he created, and then he blessed them. So literally, this is what's happening. At the climax of his creation, when he makes human beings, he speaks a blessing, and he's about ready to give a commission. How many of you think the first word God speaks over human beings is really important? How many of you know any word God speaks over human beings is important, but the first thing out of his mouth should give us a sign of like, this is really, really important. So God blesses, but I want you to see what happens next. And then he says, be fruitful and multiply. In other words, develop the social world around you, have families, build homes, uh, create vineyards, plow the ground. I mean, everything that you do to develop the social world and then fill the earth and govern it. This speaks to the natural. So we're going to have governments, create governments. We're going to build bridges and do architectural things. And we're going to basically create a culture on planet earth that gives God glory and reveals his kingdom. That's the assignment. So it's going to start in a garden, but it's going to go global. So the earth was to be full of the knowledge of the Lord like the waters cover the seas. That's God's original vision for planet earth. Now, how many of you know there was a little bit of a problem? We talked about that last week. The problem was Adam and Eve decided that maybe they could be God and they didn't really need God and they could kind of run planet earth by themselves. How many of you know that hasn't ended well? We're still fixing that mess. But what I shared last week was God chose to be something proactive. And I talked last week about all the words that start with re. Remember that? The point with re being God always restores, redeems, reconciles. He, he doesn't let whatever the devil do or whatever the devil did, he doesn't leave it and he doesn't ever admit failure. This is good news. How many of you ladies were at the women's encounter waving me or at the women's encounter this weekend? All right, awesome. Why do we do women's encounters? Because we believe Jesus has destroyed the power of the devil, that he has all authority, and that when we preach his name and we declare his goodness, he actually backs up the power with the power source. And here's what he does. He heals broken hearts. He saves people. He sets people free. He takes broken things and puts them back together. How many of you have found that to be true in your own life? Come on, this is where some cheerleading should be going on right now. Ladies, oh, whoa, whoa. Pom-pom on the ground. Let's go. Why, how about, why do we go to the nations of the world into different cultures and preach the gospel? Why did the early missions movements go to nations that they did not know the language, the culture, the food? It was terribly hard to get there. Why did they go there? What was the basis of their confidence? Because there's a risen Savior who defeated hell and who empowers them with the truth to preach the gospel. And when the gospel's preached, signs and wonders follow the preaching of the word. 
These are all signs that God is not a loser but a winner, that God has never been defeated, that he's undefeated, and Jesus is in the process of redeeming what is broken. If you're here today, here's my, here's my vote of confidence to you. Don't ever give up on the Lord because, listen, he is never quitting on you. He will pursue you. He will love you. He will heal you. If there's brokenness in you, he cares about that brokenness. He, and listen, not only does he care, because we all care, but he has the power to do something about it. That's the difference. He has the power to do something about it. So we shared last week, Jesus, our exalted king, his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's Jesus the Savior, the Messiah. He's Christ, the anointed king, and he is the Lord of all creation. And so I want you to turn with me in Acts chapter 1. We're going to see uh, Jesus as our exalted king, because we're going to talk a little bit about the doctrine of the ascension today, a very neglected but highly important doctrine, all right? Acts chapter 1, we're going to start reading in verse 6. You can follow along on the screen with me if you, if you don't have your Bible this morning. But if you have your Bible, please get into it, open it up, interact with it, circle things, write some notes, uh, and let's get into the Word. Acts chapter 1, verse 6, so when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him. Notice it says they kept asking him. This was not just a random question. This was a question burning in their hearts. And I would probably add not just their hearts, but at the heart of every Jew. They kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel? Free Israel from what? Free Israel from Roman domination and abuse, all right? Free Israel and restore our kingdom. What kingdom? The kingdom of Israel, like the kingdom of David, the kingdom of Solomon, the, 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 the reign, the glory of the kingdom. Are you going to re return it, Lord, at this time? And look what Jesus says in verse 7. The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. Can we just pause here? Remember, you got all these people in this kind of end-time eschatological hysteria that have come out with different books. Remember back some of this, this is before some of your time, 1988. 88 reasons why Jesus is going to return in 1988. How many of you know that book did not age well? In fact, you'll find that book probably in most dumpsters around the globe, all right? Because when the Bible specifically says nobody knows the date and time, then why did you as a Christian write a book trying to tell us the date and the time? That is stupid. Pastor, you're not supposed to say stupid. I'm sorry, that is stupid. I used the word correctly. Nobody knows the date and time. In fact, look at what it says next. This is important for us to see. They are not for you to know. Is it okay? The Bible doesn't tell us everything about everything. How I many you know God still has some stuff that we don't know? Like the Bible t tells us everything we know for salvation. But the Bible doesn't tell us everything about everything because it's not God. And God's infinite. And writing books is finite. Are you with me? So there's certain things that it's okay that we don't, we're not privy to that knowledge. One of those things is, when Jesus is returning. So this is one of my frustrations. When churches get all tied up in their end-time eschatological arguments and separate and argue and trying to figure out when, and if you don't agree, then you're out of the church. Jesus said he didn't even know. Only the Father knows. So why would we spend a lot of time focusing on something that only the Father knows? 
Why don't we be more humble? And I think there's a better approach. Now, let me just quickly say, should we be excited about the return of Jesus? I mean, we can't even do justice to what his kingdom, when it comes in its fullness, is going to be like. It's going to be unbelievable. It's going to be a party you don't want to miss. But look at what it says next. Okay, so Jesus says, hey, it's not, I don't have the authority to set those dates and times, and they're not even really for you guys to know. But look at verse 8. It starts off with the word, but, this is important, but, 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 listen up, this is important, you guys. You're going to receive power. Everybody say power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to tell people about me everywhere, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. You're going to even take the good news of my kingdom reign to the uttermost parts of the world, to the end of the earth. Now, how many of you can figure this out? This is mind-blowing to these people. They have not even been like the South Lake Mall. I mean, these guys are fishermen. They stay where their business is. Most of them are fishermen. They probably hadn't left the region. And Jesus says, look, I know you're worried about me coming back and setting up the kingdom and all that. Don't let that be your focus now. But here's what you need to be aware of. The Holy Spirit is going to give you supernatural power, and you're going to take the good news of the kingdom, and you're going to take it across the globe. Come on, this is a huge vision. How many of you think you could get up in the morning and and figure out what you're supposed to do with that vision? It's like, take over the cosmos for the glory of God. This is a huge vision. And I want you to see what he says next. Verse 9, after saying this, he was taken up into a cloud. This was not a nice little puffy white northwest Indiana cloud. This was a cloud of supernatural glory, all right? The glory of the Lord enveloped him while they're watching They could no longer see him. And look at verse 10. As they strained to see him, rising up out of their sight, like like you lit a helium balloon, you're trying to, wait, wait, I still see it. It's kind kind of a little dot. These guys are straining to see the Lord as he's taken away from them into glory. And it says, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Hey, guys, men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? This is, this is the problem with the church, or much of the church. As soon as things start to get bad out there, we start to do this. We look for the second coming so we can get out of here. And this is what these white robe guys said. Why are you staring at the heavens? You should be focusing on your mission. Our mission is not there. Our mission is here. Stop looking to leave when God's called you to lead. Stop looking to escape when God's called you to declare the kingdom and to bring hope and life and transformation in people's life. Look at what it says. Why are you staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven just the way you saw him go. Now, I like to share this in our starting point class. All the end time scenarios, and there's multiple of them, and we probably have multiple views in this room here today, and that's fine. We're all entitled to our opinion of how we think Jesus is going to return and win and all that. But how many of you know that's all non-essential, but let me tell you one thing that is essential. He will return in the same way that he went. How many of you know that's essential? Here's the good news. Christ is coming back. Now, I want, we'll get to this a little more in the end, but our focus is not to leave to go with him. The message of the kingdom is Christ is bringing heaven to earth. 
He's not trying to get us out of here. His whole life, how about the incarnation? What did God do? God came to us. He could have taken us all out of here and taken us to him, but no, he came to us. What is the picture in Revelation? It's the new heavens and new earth coming together. Jesus on planet earth, ruling and reigning with us. Don't look to leave. Look to take dominion. All right? I'll get to that in a second. The reason the resurrection and the ascension somehow get melded together, it's a tragedy, but you need to understand the difference, all right? The resurrection makes this declaration, Jesus Christ is alive. Can anybody say praise the Lord for that? Jesus is alive, all right? Yes, that's, that's when we get the pom-poms going. But here's what the ascension says. The ascension says Jesus Christ is victorious. Now, you can be alive and a loser. Or you can be alive and victorious. Jesus is not only alive, he's victorious. We're going to demonstrate that in just a moment. In fact, he's seated right now at the Father's right hand. And how many of you know the reason he's sitting is not because he's trying to get rested. The reason he's sitting is because he's ruling. And let me just tell you this too. He doesn't always sit. That's not a permanent place for him. When Stephen was stoned, the Bible says Stephen looked up and saw a vision of heaven. He saw Jesus standing. I believe every single martyr, every person that lives their life, every person that boldly chooses to live for Jesus in public, I believe you get a standing ovation from heaven. I believe the Lord notices our sacrifices. He notices our radical love for him. He notices our radical obedience. He's not sitting there passively taking a nap like he's trying to stay awake. Jesus is actively engaged in the planet, all right? And he, sta- he gives standing ovations from time to time for people, uh, martyrs that have laid down their life for him and others probably. But I I want you to see the ascension demonstrates the full extent of Christ's victory. Now, let me show you something here. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8. The Bible says, when he, meaning Jesus, when he ascended to the heights, check out two things that he did. He led a crowd of captives and he gave gifts to his people. Now, those of you that are in our fivefold ministry class, you realize Ephesians chapter 4 is where Jesus at the occasion of his coronation, as he's seated next to the Father's right hand, he begins to distribute the plunder. He gives gifts to his church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, right? How many of you are in that class with me? Wait, wave your hand, right? He's giving gifts. This is amazing because this is a picture of a conquering king who has plundered all of his enemies. He's taken back, in Jesus' situation, he's not taking stuff from people. He's taking back what is rightfully his, what we lost. He's taking it all back. But Jesus immediately begins giving gifts to the church. But let me ask you a question. What does that phrase mean? He, he led a crowd of captives. Who are the captives Jesus is leading. The picture, again, is of a Roman king going out, or Caesar going out and conquering uh, enemies, and when he would make his way back into the city, imagine uh, a Caesar coming back into Rome with all the pomp and splendor, and the king and all of his entourages in the front, and then behind the king are thousands and thousands and thousands of chained uh, captives. They're, they're the defeated foes. They're, they're being paraded in front of the whole city. Also, you had all the gold, the silver, the precious things that you plundered from the enemy. This is a picture of what Jesus did at his ascension. I want to lay it out for you so you can see how beautiful this is. He's coming back. 
from battle. He's got captives in tow, and he's got plunder in his hand. And I want you to see Colossians 2.15 with me. Read along. It says, in this way, Jesus disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities, and he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So there's two things Jesus did that are powerful for us to see. He absolutely stripped the enemy of all of his weaponry. How many of you know Satan is like a toothless lion? He has a loud roar, but he ain't got nothing. Now, we were out walking our dogs, which is hilarious, all right? We have this beautiful golden retriever that's quite large, and then we have this little dog about this big. She's your dog's sister. Yeah, so we got, we got family here, too, on the front row. We got, this is a little um, malty, morky, morky. That dog is this big. When you give it a bath, it looks like a wet rat. I mean, it's, <laughs> but that dog has an attitude and a half. So we're walking the dog. If you can imagine, it's like walking a little puff ball, you know, about this big, like walking a squirrel, all right? <laughs> and across the street is this massive dog. I mean, it probably weighs 100 pounds. My golden is just chill. He has a big bark, and when you get near him, he rolls on his back and does this, and then licks you and, you know, all that. This little dog, and I'm just laughing. I'm like, are you kidding me? Uh, That dog could eat you in one bite. Good thing I have, good thing, wait, I'm holding on a leash. Say back, back, back. Are you kidding me? That That dog's got an attitude like crazy, and that dog thinks she is awesome. That's like the devil. The devil's like that little morky. He just yaps at you and bites at your heel, bites at your heel. This dog, when I get up in the morning, if I'm barefooted, he's nibbling on my toe. She's nibbling on, she's licking my toe. I'm I'm tripping over like that. All right, not a picture of power, all right? She doesn't strike fear in your heart. Can I just tell you, that's the devil. In fact, there's a passage in the Bible that says, finally, when Satan's revealed, it's going to be like pulling the curtain in the Wizard of Oz. You're the wizard. Little guy back there running the thing, you know, all right? The devil has been defanged by Jesus at the cross. I'm not saying he doesn't have some authority and power. I'm not saying he doesn't have a free reign, but he's on a leash. It's like me walking that little dog with the cute little pink collar, you know, like devil, shut up. All right, now, I'm, this dog's a sweet dog. I, I love this dog. But, but the devil, shut up, devil. You've already been defeated. You've been disarmed. And I want you to see this too. Jesus shamed the devil. And who were all these captives? Every demonic force, every demon on planet earth publicly paraded before God the Father as an object of scorn and ridicule and shame, completely defeated by Jesus by virtue of his resurrection and by his powerful ascension to the Father's right hand. In other words, at the party, at the coronation party, Jesus is disarming our enemy and openly shaming him. Now, let me just tell you this. What should the church do with that kind of information? Now, I just got to tell you, I cannot wait. When we, have, we, don't, we haven't been able to watch that scene, but I bet they got it captured on video. And when we get to heaven, I'm going to be like, hey, Jesus, can we see that highlight reel when that happened? Like ESPN highlights. I, I, we're going to be like, hey, let's go. Get some popcorn. Come in. To, why do you think they built all these wonderful theaters that have all this garbage being shown? I think it's going to be for Jesus showing highlight videos of his life. All right, that's what I think. We're going to be eating popcorn. Yeah, 
yes, pom-poms will be given out at the door. It's going to be amazing. All right, I'm having fun. But anyway, who knows? It could be really cool. Take a look at Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to read this from the Passion Translation. I love the paraphrase. Then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. Did you all hear that? Satan has no grounds to accuse you because of what Jesus did to disarm him. The blood of Jesus covers all of our sins. Anybody grateful for that? The blood of Jesus has paid for our guilt and our shame. If you're in Christ today and you've submitted your life to him, his blood has washed you clean. The devil cannot accuse you. The devil cannot attack you. The devil cannot mock you, make fun of you. Uh, He's a liar, and he's been defeated, and he yaps. But just tell him, shut up. And he's little like that dog. You could drop kick the devil in some ways and just tell him, get out of your life, all right? Now, don't, he was saying, I do not do that to my dog, and you should not do that to your, all the animal lovers here. What did pastor mean by that? All right, no. Now, let me, let me correct something too. There are people who have been taught that this world belongs to Satan. How many of you have heard that before? The world belongs to Satan. Can I just tell you something? Last time we checked, like for the last two weeks, we demonstrated over and over and over again that this world belongs to God Almighty. He's the creator. And then when we fell and Satan took the keys from the father and put them in his pocket and said, thank you, I'm in charge now, God didn't sit back and go, oh, man, I lost the whole creation. I have to just literally to hell. Is that what he did? No. He sent his son, Jesus. What did Jesus do? He went on a reconnaissance mission. He went out to seek and destroy all the, all the demonic power. He went out to seek and destroy the, or, uh, seek and redeem the lost, but he went out to destroy every work of the devil. And when he died on the cross and said it's finished, he took the keys back when he rose from the grave. Who's got the keys to planet Earth right now? Not Satan. Jesus has the keys. Now, what's he doing? Well, we have a planet that is infested with people who don't love Jesus, don't honor Jesus, and don't live according to the gospel. We have principalities and powers that are still at work. But here's the point. If I gave you a, a, a property that had not been... Uh, been lived in for a long time, and there were squatters in, uh, in the house, all right? You got the keys to the property. You go up to the front door, you knock on the front door, somebody greets you. It's your house. You got the title deed to the house. It's your house. Somebody greets you and say, excuse me, um, what are you doing in my house? They say, oh, well, we've been living here for a long time. Well, that's great, but I am the owner of this house, and I would like you to leave. But I don't want to leave. This is called deliverance. But you're going to leave in Jesus' name. Get out. Ah, and they run out, right? Then you go to the kitchen. Oh, there's people eating your food in your, out of your refrigerator. Who are you people? What are you doing in my kitchen? I have the title deed to this house. What do you do? You evict them from your kitchen. Oh, you walk in your bedroom. What are you doing in my bed? Get out of my bed. You go in your basement. You go in, oh, finally you go into the back room. There's a closet. You open up the closet. Ah, oh, there's one hiding in there. What are you doing in my closet? Get out of my closet. This is a picture of what the church is supposed to be doing right now. Taking over dominion on planet Earth. This belongs to Jesus. This belongs to Jesus. Now, let me show you another incredibly awesome picture. Because notice the Bible says Jesus ascended. He ascended through the heavens 
on his journey to the Father's right hand. And I want you to see what the Bible says about this. First of all, the heavens through which Jesus ascended are depicted in Scripture as the realm of Satan. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. He's called the prince of the power of the air. How many of you have heard that about Satan? Prince of the power of the air. Also, listen to what his demonic forces are referred to. This is Ephesians 6, verse 12. They're referred to as spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So get this picture with me. Christ is risen from the dead. What did he teach his disciples on for 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension? What was the topic? The kingdom of God. The king and his domain. Then he ascends. While he ascends, he gives a recommission. We'll get to that in just a second. But while he's ascending, he is gathering up all of the captives. Where are they? They're in heavenly places including the prince of the power of the air. He literally ascends through the heavens to gather around him all of the captives that he defeated through his death and resurrection on the cross. What a picture. Yo, guys, everybody line up. Disarms them, shames them, and then parades them to the Father's right hand where he is going to be uh, coronated as the king of glory and lord of all creation. This is amazing. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down. Everybody say, sat down. He sat down at the right hand of God. And look at verse 13. Man, I circled this in my Bible. What is Jesus doing right now? He's waiting. Well, what's the next logical question? Waiting for what? How do you think that's a good question? Jesus is waiting. I don't want to keep him waiting. Who wants to keep Jesus waiting? What's he waiting for? Well, the Bible tells us. Until all of his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. Psalm 110, verse 1, the Lord says to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool for your feet. What is the church supposed to be doing right now? What are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be bringing enemies under the authority and sway of Jesus. Now, people are not our enemies. Principalities and powers and demonic things and evil thoughts and unbelief and sin and wickedness and selfishness, those are all enemies of the cross. So just like Jesus was the servant king, amen, the servant king, he didn't come with a sword, he came with a towel. He loves people. He serves people. But what does he do? What happens at Encounter Weekends? What happens at Renovating You? What happens at Life Groups all throughout the week? What happens on all of our gatherings? What do we do? We declare the good news that there's a king who sets people free. And we bring in under Jesus' feet. Now, this will not completely happen until Christ comes again. I get this. But how I many you know we're supposed to be busy taking ground? Not going backwards, but going. Say that word with me. We're not retreating. We're not being unessential. We are more essential than ever. This planet does not belong to the government. It belongs to God. Every institution that has been created by God exists for God's glory, which means government belongs to Jesus. Economics, God has something to say about that. Education should be under the authority of Jesus. Law should be under the authority of Jesus. Every, and everything that exists 
should come under the authority of Christ because he's Lord. That's what we do. We're bringing every enemy of Jesus under his feet. He literally sits back and makes his enemies his footstool. I mean, you know, that, that is disarming and shaming every enemy right there. Hey, I want you to come here. I'm going to put my feet on you. That's what the Lord wants to do to the devil and every demonic work. He wants it under our feet. And I, I, I'm rambling here, but this is a great picture God's bringing to my mind. Um, back in Joshua's day, there is a picture when they would conquer the kings and they would have the young men come up uh, who were being trained, all right? The future, they would have the young men come up and the king, the, the victorious king would say, put your foot on the neck of this king because he wanted them to feel what it's like to be victorious. So if you can imagine bringing up some of the young bucks, and here you got, you know, maybe mighty King David or, or Joshua, uh, and you got this feared king, enemy king, wicked, demonic king, and, and now he's laying in the dirt, and you have your foot on his neck. That is a picture of what Jesus did to Satan. He is under his feet. He has been disarmed, and he has publicly shamed him. Uh, and our job, listen, every time you pray for somebody and they get set free, you're laughing at the devil's face. You're like, you have no authority. You're a loser. Jesus shed his blood for this precious man or this precious woman, and you have no authority over their life. Get out. You have no authority to torment. Get out. You take authority. And every time we do that, we, we are in the disarming process. I mean, oh, you've been deputized. So you can speak to, to that uh, power in Jesus' name, and they have to respond to the name. As long as you're under the name, submitted to the name, they have to respond to the name, the name that is above all names. What a beautiful, beautiful picture. So look at what Jesus does. He's ascending, but while he's ascending, he does something really powerful, and I'll close with this. Look with me in Matthew 28, of course, the Great Commission. Jesus is recommissioning us on the occasion of you know his final words. He goes back to God's first words. Jesus' final words are actually God's first words back in Genesis chapter 1. Jesus came and told his disciples, Matthew 28, 18, I have been given all authority. Everybody say that, all authority. In heaven, on earth. How many know he's got it all covered? Therefore, go, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples. Here's what we teach them. Obey all the commands. In other words, whatever God has said in the Word, the instructions that He's given us, can I just share this loudly and clearly? This is the authority to reform nations. To the degree that the church calls America back to the Bible, that will be the degree to which we experience the supernatural blessing and prosperity of God on our nation. What is the job of the church? Well, pastor, we live in a pluralistic culture and, you know, we really can't, you know, we really can't legislate, you know, like morality. Are you nuts? Somebody is legislating morality every day. Why don't we make a bold declaration that God's word is true and that when people honor what God says about marriage and family and sex and money and government and war and everything else that's in the Bible that God speaks to, when we do it God's way, it leads to maximum prosperity. 
America has been the witness of that over the years. We're, the, the ground we're losing now is because we're losing the commands of God for blessed nations. And so here's the point. We need to, number one, model this in church because we need to live in the prosperity and blessing of our king. The church should be a place where people are knocking the doors down to get to be a part of this club. Because they see the quality of our relationships, the way we love one another, the way God's blessing and favor is upon his people. They should be knocking the doors down to become, how do I join this church? Not this church, Living Stones Church, the church of Jesus Christ. I want to be part of his church. So check this out. Church, Jesus says this to us today. Be sure of this, Living Stones Listen up, living stones. Never question me on this, living stones. Make sure you take a hold of this, living stones. I am with you always, even until the very end of the age. Anybody feeling lonely today? Stop it. Remind yourself of the truth. God is not forsaken you. Jesus will never leave you. The Holy Spirit will be with you until the very end. Remind yourself. He, he, is, he is on mission with us. And I want you to see one other thing. This is not in your notes and on the screen, but it's in my notes. This was fresh. Luke chapter 24. This is Luke's account of the ascension. And I'll end with this. Then Jesus led them to Bethany and lifting up his hands to heaven. Picture this. He blessed them. Imagine me standing up saying, living stones, I bless you in the name of Jesus, and I just start speaking blessing over you. Jesus lifts his hands up over the disciples that were there, and he begins to bless them. And listen to what, is that, what he does next. While he was in the act of blessing them, he left, he, he ascended, he was taken up to heaven. And it says they worshiped him and then returned to Jerusalem filled with great joy. And they spent all their time in the temple praising God. Now this is beautiful. The very last words out of Jesus' mouth, our victorious king, is blessing us in the mission he sent us to do. Now, the blessing isn't just, hey, I just pray everything's good for you guys, you know, have fun. That's not what, No, the blessing is the favor of God to fulfill the mission. In other words, he, he equips you to go do what he just told you to do. And the blessing promises blessing, meaning your fruit, your work, your, your engagement in his mission will prosper in his hand. Does this make sense to anybody? The reason I started off with the king and then went to Jesus as also the king, the Lord Jesus Christ, is because I want to make sure you're on the right team. We're on a winning team. He's undefeated. He's unstoppable. When I wake up in the morning, I'm a family member. I'm a member of the kingdom of God. He's my father. Jesus is my brother. You're my brothers and sisters. The Holy Spirit has empowered us with dunamis dynamite power to do what God's called us to do. And so we extend the reign of, of the kingdom. The kingdom, I love this definition. The kingdom is God's reign through God's people over God's place. Let's read that again. God's reign through God's people over God's place. 
So the Christian's duty and calling is to exercise the crown rights of King Jesus over every dimension of society. It's not just about getting Jesus in our heart. We're proclaiming the saving power of Christ and applying the whole word of God to all of creation. This is what Reformation is all about. I love what John Calvin said. He said, the task of the church is to make the invisible kingdom visible. Isn't that beautiful? The invisible kingdom visible. And I close with this. John Stott said, the church is meant to be the kingdom community, a model of what the human community looks like when it comes under the rule of God and a challenging alternative to a secular society. This is beautiful. Did y'all see recently the Swedes? Any, any Swedes in here? Swedish people? Come on, praise God for the Swedes. Don't be, hey, be proud of it. Be proud of it. This is a good moment. I'm not setting you up. The Swedes just passed legislation that all the protocols, they're done with them. They're out in the streets. Come on, get those people out. They're out in the streets. They're hugging, they're dancing, they're celebrating, they're kissing, they're living life normal. And I, when I read about the Swedes, this is what went off in my heart. We've been Swedes for two years now. We come to church. We believe the king is in our midst. We believe that there's freedom and liberty. We believe there's joy. We believe there's hugging and shouting and dancing and kissing and high-fiving. We're like the Swedes, man. We're, we got it two years earlier because this here is a taste of heaven. This here is what the world's supposed to see the church and the kingdom of God looks like. Last point, promise, last point. Most of the church thinks Jesus is trying to take us to heaven. No. Jesus is trying to bring heaven to earth. This is important. We're not going away somewhere. Jesus is coming here. And he's going to rule and reign here. And who's going to, he going to rule and reign over? All of us here. So why are we trying to get off planet earth? Why don't we just take it over? Why don't we just demonstrate the goodness of our king right here and right now? So you know what we do? We go love people. We serve people. We get involved. We run for office. We build houses. We plan for the future because the fu- we are the future. We don't just go, oh, man, it's getting so bad. I think, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? Let's just go hide in a hole somewhere and wait for Jesus. Stop it. We're going to move forward. We're going to be, bring answers. We're going to bring solutions. We're going to heal people. We're going to set people free in the name of Jesus. We're going to stomp the devil's head day in, day out. What should I do today? Stomp on the devil. Set people free. Don't be in a retreat mode. Be in an offensive mode. Where's the gates of hell? I want to kick them down. All right, that's what we do. All right, hop to your feet. You guys are preaching way too much. Get those pom-poms going. In fact, I need a pom-pom. Run me a pom-pom. Can I borrow your pom-pom? Mike, don't, yeah, all right, there we go. Come on. I think we all need to just raise a pom-pom in Jesus' name if you got one. Hallelujah. Come on, come on. Come on. Hey, can anybody imagine like what it's going to look like when all the redeemed of the Lord are introduced to Jesus, at, you know, when he establishes his kingdom? What, what is that going to look like? Can you imagine? <laughs> These aren't going to do justice, folks. All right, we're going to need some fireworks there. We're going to need... Some serious stuff going on. 
Amr, are you with me? There's a pom-pom with your name on it. All right, let's go. Father God Almighty, we thank you. Today we celebrate. We celebrate the victory of King Jesus. We celebrate his power over everything. And Lord, we celebrate the church. We get to follow in the footsteps of our king. We get to, we get to gather all the defeated foe. And Lord, we get to clean up the spoils. So help us to do that this week, Lord. Help us to love, to preach, to share, to give, to serve, to run for office, to do whatever it is that we're called to do, Lord, but we're called to make a difference for your kingdom. Help us to be engaged, and most of all, Lord, help us to always remain prisoners of hope. Prisoners of hope. Fill your people with hope. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Hey, if you need prayer, come on down, all right? We'd love to pray with you. Have a great week. Let's go.